Good evening. I'm glad you joined us for our continued study in the book of Lamentations. And wonderful that we're able to sing some Christmas songs as we are in the season where we do celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an incredible story that's recorded for us uh, in Luke chapter 2. But just, um, you know, the promise of Messiah that would come all through the centuries of the prophets brought in the Old Testament. And uh, we get to look back on it. And uh, God is so faithful. And that's the thing I want you to remember uh, during this Christmas season is God is faithful. He still sees us. And he loves us, and Emmanuel, God with us. And I love that Christmas story, the promise given in the book of Isaiah. Remember when we went through Isaiah, that it was told to to Ahaz, the king of Judah, that God's going to give you a sign that, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we can be established in strength and hope in truth, in comfort, uh, we can be established in Him because God is with us. And that word is true today for you and for me. And so we celebrate this Christmas, um, that very truth given to us in the Scriptures and God's Word, in this Christmas season that we can truly have joy deep in our hearts and gladness of heart and peace and goodwill, all those things that are spoken of. And we're even going to see and talk about tonight the compassion of our Lord that is with us always. So we are going to be in the book of Lamentations. You find it tucked in between Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel. And our schedule for uh, the online during the midweek for this month is uh, we'll, we'll go into chapter 3, Lamentations, and then next week we will finish the book of Lamentations. And then the week of Christmas Eve, uh, we will be making an announcement this Sunday what exactly we're going to be doing for Christmas Eve, uh, the service and services, what it is, the plan is. And uh, that'll be on a Thursday. So we won't uh, have a Wednesday night online service, but we'll be focused on Christmas Eve. And then the week after that, on Thursday, the last day of the year, we will be given a prophecy update, and we'll do that online as well. And always look forward to that. So we're going to celebrate Jesus' first coming uh, on Christmas Eve, and then we're going to talk about his second coming, which he is going to come back. And uh, we can find hope. We can find comfort in that, knowing that uh, he is going to return for us and uh, establish his kingdom. And we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And and that's what Daniel was saying uh, during this time, that Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. He is ministering, as we saw the words of Jeremiah, even as he laments in this book, Lamentations, that is written by the uh, prophet Jeremiah, lamenting as he's seen Jerusalem being destroyed. And then we know that Ezekiel, the book we're going to go into after the first of the year, we'll start the book of Ezekiel. He went off into captivity uh, during the second deportation in 597 B.C., so he's prophesying there. Ezekiel's an incredible book. You don't want to miss uh, that uh, study in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, he had visions 
that were um, just unique in all of Scripture, just as Daniel was in Babylon at the same time, and he received four visions uh, that uh, are recorded in the book of Daniel. So some very unique, very interesting, fascinating things that we're going to look at that has prophetic significance as well. So we're looking forward to those studies as we move into 2021, but we still have a lot that the Lord wants to show us during this time as well. Before we close the year, as we head to Christmas and New Year's, uh, I do want to let you know the bookstore is open. I want to remind you of that because there's a lot of good resources that are there for you that you can look at and uh, Bibles at cost, commentaries, those things that you might want to consider or if you want to get a Christmas gift for someone, I think that's a good place for you to go and check out those things that are there in our bookstore. Also, continuing to do Sunday mornings, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, and we are doing that uh, on uh, in person, that is, and online. Uh, so you can register for those services and for the children on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. Uh, we have the e-bulletin that we've been uh, doing all year long, so that goes out usually on Thursday, and uh, if you want that emailed to you, I get it emailed to me, and I like to just be able to look at it that way. It is on our website, as I just gave you the address, but also you can get it emailed to you, and if you want that, just let us know. And then the kids, uh, for the next couple Sundays, uh, as we head towards Christmas, are going to be doing some special things uh, for Christmas, some activities and singing some songs and things like that. They really enjoy it. What has been a tremendous blessing to me is seeing more children coming back um, and, you know, seeing the classrooms that have the children in it. And um, I think that's a tremendous blessing to to have uh, those kids learning about Jesus and uh, back in their classrooms. And we're just going to, as I said, stay the course and keep moving forward uh, here at Calvary Chapels. We maneuver through all this COVID. We want to be careful. Uh, We want to give preference to one another, but we want to continue to meet, and uh, we're just going to keep adjusting and looking at it every week as we just move forward in all that is going on around us. So, Book of Lamentations, we're going to start in chapter 2, again, right after the book of Jeremiah, right before the book of Ezekiel. And Father, we do ask that you'd bless this time in the study of your word. I thank you for those who are in their homes, apartments, uh, maybe uh, somewhere else, um, that they are listening to this service. And they are uh, desiring to know your word. And even though this is a tough message that Jeremiah is giving, uh, there is a message of hope and encouragement that is here for us. And there's an important lesson for us in seeing what sin does. It just brings sorrow and bondage. And that's your word. And you're a loving father that these things are recorded, not just to be a bummer, but that we can do better. Not just so we can look at it and think that, um, Lord, that you're a harsh God. You're a loving God. And you desire to show your compassion to us, your faithfulness to us. And, Lord, you, you give us your word for our admonition to teach us. Um, that the good way and the best way and the true way is to follow after you and to look to you who loves us so much. You proved it by sending your son. And, And that's the message of Christmas, that the Messiah came, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it was... It was um, Joseph that was told in Matthew chapter 1 that you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. The greatest need that we have. 
So we always look at it in the light of your love. And Lord, you are a just God. You're a perfect God. True and righteous are your judgments. But Lord, you are a God who loves us so much you sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Lord, we give you this time to study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And as I've already said, Lamentations penned by uh, Jeremiah, of course inspired by the Spirit of God, to write these five chapters. Chapters 1 and 2 are 22 verses long. Chapters 4 and 5, 22 verses long. But chapter 3 that we'll move into today is 66 verses long. It really is the heart of this book, the book of Lamentations. Uh, jo- uh, it is Jeremiah that is, is lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem. If you join us uh, in our study going through the book of Jeremiah, we went through all those chapters where Jeremiah was warning God's people that there's going to be uh, devastation, destruction, death as never seen before if you refuse to turn to the Lord. And it wasn't just Jeremiah that was given that message for over 40 years. His ministry lasted for about 46 years. But uh, for 40 years before Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C., we know that Isaiah, uh, before that, was warning the people. The other prophets that we read about here in this book that were contemporaries to Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were also warning the people as well. But yes, they refused their turn to the Lord. And they refused to to, uh, repent from their false worship, from their uh, false uh, prophets that were given a false message and a false hope, uh, the sinfulness that was in the nation that Jeremiah described. There was violence. They were um, immorality. There was all kinds of problems that were taking place. And yet they said, we will follow the dictates of our evil hearts. And they went off into captivity because they broke the covenant that God had made with them there at Mount Sinai. And, and we covered all of that. So as we go through lamentation, here is chapter 1, for example. We saw that Jeremiah was outside the city looking in the first 11 verses uh, at the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And then uh, verses 12 through 22, as we finished last time, he's inside the city looking at the perspective from inside the city. As we move into chapter 2, we are going to see that he's going to speak of of God's um, you know judgment that comes against Jerusalem, and these are heavy words. As I said last week, that he has a tough message that he gave to a nation, but he has a tender heart. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he wept over these things that he was saying. He didn't have the attitude of "you deserve it" and "you're getting what you know you deserve," and 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 I can't wait till God brings judgment because of your disobedience. I pray that we never have that heart. But as we see others, and I think that as we go through this, as Jeremiah is describing the tears that flow from him and how he's feeling inside because of the great devastation that has taken place, the sorrow that he feels, that we would remember this, that Jesus, that he's a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And he wept over Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate, is what he would say when he wept over Jerusalem. How I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing to come. And the Lord weeps when he sees that 
that his people, or he sees those who reject him, when he has life and abundant life to offer to us, to, to anyone who would turn to him. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And we should weep, and we do weep, don't we? We'll look at this as we see those who we love uh, that you know go in a road of disobedience or in a way of disobedience. Now, he uses poetic language in this book, Lamentations, and that's what we see. For instance, we saw last time that Jerusalem, uh, she has become vile. And, and because they have seen her nakedness, she sighs and turns away. And uh, the Lord has trampled Jerusalem as in a wine press. He uses that term, the virgin daughter of Judah, which was equivalent to Jerusalem. Uh, I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. He had likened those idols to spiritual lovers that they had turned to, committing spiritual uh, adultery, uh, harlotry, uh, because uh, they had turned to those things, those things that were false and false worship and the idols put their trust in them, and and they couldn't help. Uh, They deceived me. And, of course, there's no instance in the scriptures where those idols help God's people. Uh, So that's the poetic language that he is using as he uh, continues to speak about um, Jerusalem and what he is seeing. Let's open up chapter 2, how the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion uh, with a cloud in his anger. He cast down from heaven to the earth the beauty of Israel and did not remember his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up and has not pitied all the dwelling places of Jacob. He has thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. Verse 3, he has cut off in fierce anger every horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire devouring all around. Standing like an enemy, verse 4 reads, he has bent his bow and his right hand like an adversary. He has slain all who were pleasing to his eyes. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. So he uses those terms for uh, Jerusalem, daughter of Zion. When you read Zion in the Old Testament, it's a reference to Jerusalem. And then he also calls the daughter of Judah Jerusalem. And God has taken away Judah's strength, as we read here, the every horn of Israel in verse 3. The horn was a symbol of strength. And all the leaders were dealt with by God. Uh, those who should have brought protection, as we're going to read here in a little bit, to the people should have been the strength for the people that all her strength is down. And Jerusalem was a very magnificent city and a very famous city in ancient times. So all the leaders, many of them would be killed by Nebuchadnezzar uh, as God was dealing with uh, Jerusalem. No more strength is left in her. Her power is gone as she is destroyed by the Babylonians. Verse 5, the Lord was like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed her strongholds and has increased mourning and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. He has done violence to his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He has destroyed his place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feast 
and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. In his burning indignation, he has spurred the king and the priests. In verse 7, the Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. And they have made a noise in the house of the Lord as on the day of a set feast. So the feasts and Sabbaths uh, that they were to celebrate, it was to be a celebration of joy. But no longer is it because of their sin. He's given up the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy, he says. He has destroyed his place of the assembly and, and uh, to his tabernacle, which was a place where the glory of the Lord was to be. Now, when Solomon gave the dedication to the temple, the magnificent first temple, overlaid with gold. Uh, you can read about that in First Kings and then also in Second Chronicles, that the glory of the Lord filled the temple toward the priests. They couldn't even uh, minister anymore. It was a glorious time. They had a great feast for, for two weeks. Uh, Israel was in its greatest glory, its greatest power, prosperity at that time. You read about uh, Solomon's temple when it was constructed. It took 70 years. Tens of thousands of workers. There was like 80,000 working up at the mines. There was like 30,000 that were bringing timbers down from Tyre and, uh, in Lebanon, the cedar wood uh, to Joppa and then over to Jerusalem. Uh, 70,000 on the Temple Mount. All the chiseling was done at the quarry and then brought down and put in place to where there was not the sound of a hammer. Absolutely incredible, ornate stones overlaid with gold. You can read about the description of Solomon's temple and then the glory that filled it. And that's what made the temple the temple. It was more than just a magnificent building. It was the dwelling place of God. But eventually, as we're going to read in the book of Ezekiel, that over time here, that now the temple is destroyed, as Jeremiah is describing it. But even before that time, when they brought in the idols, that the glory of the Lord lifted, the Shekinah glory. And Ezekiel sees this vision as it goes over the Mount of Olives and then it leaves. And it's a really sad portion of scripture that we'll get to when we get to the book of Ezekiel. But I want to remind us that we here at Calvary, we have a very modest building but the church isn't the building. Um, we are very grateful for it. Uh, we have ministered to many, many people as we pack this little place out. And, and uh, this year has been a little different. But I am confident that more people are going to come as we get through this pandemic, as uh, things begin to ease. I just sense that. And it's been wonderful to see new people coming and so many new people coming on Sunday mornings. Those that are listening online, just as what you're doing and also on Sunday mornings. And what makes this place glorious is the presence of the Lord. It isn't the building. It isn't how, you know, the glorious sanctuary and everything else that we have that we're very thankful for. And we, we never want to forget that. We never want to forget that it's much more than just presentation and all the things that that we have here it is about us worshiping the lord and the lord being the very central focus and priority and worship him and to study his word he is the one that this is his house and we're going to see that here as uh, jeremiah speaks about that and, and i pray that that we would have the glory of the lord that is here that is working in our midst because 
We reverence him. We worship him. He's the priority. You know, whether we have soft cushion chairs to sit on or not, whether we have, a, a, you know, all the things that we use to enhance, you know, worship and the teaching of the word and all the technology, more than all of that stuff that we would remember that he is the one is to be glorified. And we, as we come in and Christ dwelling in our hearts, that, that is the church. It's not just the building and all the other things. And you see, they had forgotten. They were saying, we have the temple, the temple, the temple. So what they were saying, Ezekiel's going to emphasize that again. Nothing's going to happen to us. They, they had trusted in geographic location. They had trusted in a building. And, and rather than trusting in the Lord himself. And I pray that he would always be uh, our priority, our desire, um, that he is the one that we the reason why we meet in his place. This is his place of assembly. Um, and I hope that, that we would always, you know, value that and never take it for granted. So as we continue here in verse 8, the Lord in chapter 2 of Lamentation has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Again, he's just using this poetic language. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her kings, her princes are among the nations. The law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Verse 10, the elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. So the leaders that are mentioned here, there's, there's no more visions that are being pronounced here. Um, they throw dust on their heads. No more law. Um, all this description here that is given. No more kings and princes that are among the nation. And the leaders were to protect the people. They were to lead in a godly spiritual way. The spiritual leaders, of course, were given false visions and a false hope and a false message. Remember in the book of Jeremiah that they were saying, oh, the captivity is not going to last long. You know, Jerusalem isn't going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be okay. And they persecuted Jeremiah for the message that he had brought. And we see here at this point as they're on the ground throwing dust on their heads, a a picture of mourning, a, a deep grief. But they were to be there to be a benefit and a blessing and a help to the people. And they were not. They were to feed the people, and they did not feed them. And I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 3, where Jeremiah, early in the book, he says that the time's going to come, and he's actually speaking of the time when eventually it's going to be fulfilled in the millennium reign. But he says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And as leaders, whether you're a leader in your home, mom and dads, or whether you're a leader in a ministry, or me as a leader in the church, that I am to feed you with knowledge and understanding, that to to feed you, have a heart to do that, to be a benefit and a blessing to you. And part of that is to protect. As a shepherd, a shepherd is to feed, is to guide, uh, is to be there for the people, but also to to. Uh, to protect, and they were to protect the people, and they didn't do that. 
They were to be like a wall around the city, as it speaks about the wall. And just as the walls came down, the, the walls of their leadership were destroyed as well. You know, moms and dads, protect your homes. There's a lot of harm that can come into your home. A lot of voices that can come into your home that will uh, end up uh, causing harm spiritually to you and to your family. And we want to do that as well. We want to guard, we want to warn, and we want to give truth. And there's safety and security in God's truth. And we talked a little bit about that on Sunday. We'll continue to do so uh, on this Sunday, that we need to be discerning, we need to be watching, uh, and we need to be sober and vigilant. And that's going to be something that, that I hope that we remember to not go to sleep spiritually, to not just accept any voice that's out there, but to test the spirits to see if they are God, uh, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And because the leaders didn't do what they were supposed to do, it brought devastation to the people. And, um, and that's what Jeremiah is describing. And here in verse 11, he says, as he's overwhelmed, my eyes fail with tears. Uh, and my heart is troubled, my bile, my inwards is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. So as we read the rest of the chapter, you know, it's really just a, a really a terrible scene that is here. And keep in mind that Jeremiah had warned the people about that. He brought the leaders out overlooking the valley of Gehenna, which was where they burned the trash. He had a pot and he threw it down and he broke it. And he said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be great death and devastation. He described that your corpse are going to be out on the ground for the scavengers uh, to come and, and eat. They're not going to be put in graves. It's going to be a terrible, terrible scene. And that's what Jeremiah is describing here. He says it is, he's so overwhelmed at this point that he has no more tears to shed um, in verse 11. He, he's, you know, his inwards are being poured on, on the ground. Um, you know, he, what he sees, he's he's vomiting, um, the children and infants in the streets of the city, uh, to see the death of the children and infants was just too much for him. And it's very descriptive here. But I want us to understand this, that that's what sin does. And it just brings sorrow and pain and difficulty to see what happens to, to families when sin comes into the house. Our parents, we're not protecting our kids spiritually. To see what happens to people because of sin. And this is a main lesson that we see here, and it's very sobering. And the Lord has us record it so we can say, Lord, that we don't want to get involved in this. This is what sin does. It's very ugly and dark, and it brings death. In verse 13, Well, let's back up to verse 12. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? They swoon like the wounded in the streets of the city, and their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. Again, speaking of the the children wanting something to eat, uh, they're starving. And how shall I console you, verse 13? To what shall I liken you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I compare with you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is spread wide as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies 
and delusion. So Jeremiah can't comfort them because they refuse to listen to the truth and, and believe the false prophets. And it is sad. Doesn't it break our hearts? We lament, don't we? When we see people that listen to the false hope of the world, the lies of the enemy, the, the worldly wisdom and advice that is given. When, when they are told, you don't need Jesus Christ, just do whatever it is that you want. Live any way that you want. And, and we see that people refuse to listen to the truth and then the consequences of rebellion are felt and we see them. And it's hard to see them go through that. And we weep, don't we? Can you imagine what Jeremiah is feeling as he has a heart for the people? And, and, and it does, especially uh, if uh, those people that are close to us and we care about and are linked to us in our lives. But in verse 15, all who pass by clap their hands at you. They hiss and shake their heads at daughter of Jerusalem. The city is called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. God had blessed Jerusalem. It was a beautiful city, particularly in the days of um, Solomon. And the leaders came from all over to see the beauty and the splendor of Jerusalem. The queen of Sheba, and she said to Solomon, you know, half of, uh, not even half of what, you know, it was told to me that I see here. Uh, it just is so magnificent. It was wonderful. But yet, here it is, this city lay in destruction because they walked in disobedience. And the people were saying, you know, uh, what happened to this joy of the whole earth, the perfection of beauty? Verse 16, all of your enemies have opened their mouths against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely uh, this is the day we have waited for. We have found it. We have seen it. And the Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old. He has thrown down and has not pitied. He has caused an enemy to rejoice over you and exalted the horn of your adversary. Again, the power of the adversaries, the Babylonian, were strengthened and, and caused the enemy to rejoice over you. Um, and it shouldn't have been that way. God said that if you follow me and trust in me, I will protect you and I will save you from your enemies. But they refused to listen to the Lord. In verse 18, their heart cried out to the Lord, a wall of the daughter of Zion. Let tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Give your eyes no rest. The, the weeping and the lamenting uh, of the people of, of Jerusalem, like uh, I'm crying the tears like a river at this point. No relief, no rest. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your, lift your hands towards him for the life of, of, our, of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and consider to whom have you done this. Should the woman eat their offspring, the children they have cuddled? Should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? So just, you know, the people were continually in torment. Uh, the children in torment. Young and old lie on the ground of the streets. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered and not pitied. You have inv invited as to a feast day the terrors that surround me. In the day of the Lord's anger, there's no refuge or survival. Uh, survivor, those whom I have borne and brought up, my enemies have destroyed. So it's just a picture of sin, and it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. And then the prophet begins in chapter 3 to describe his anguish. And uh, with this poetic language, 
that he gives here, um, it, it just, he's going to be, uh, in the honesty of his heart, just given this warning. And it's kind of like Job in those chapters of Job, the loss that Job went through, uh, that the Lord is angry, that the Lord is, um, you know, just that perspective that he's giving. And then as he's so overwhelmed with the circumstances, he gets his eyes on the Lord. Chapter 3 is the heart of this book, as I said, the longest chapter. And in verses 1 through 18, Jeremiah details afflictions once again during this time, his, his anguish that he is feeling. But then he turns to hope. Um, and the knowledge of God's way produces hope and not despair in verses 19 through 40 and then 41 through 66, Jeremiah's prayer for God's deliverance and restoration. So let's begin to look at chapter 3. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. So here Jeremiah's anguish is expressed here. God's hand of favor has now become a fist of adversity. You know, his condition here parallels that of Jerusalem, his heart, just feeling so hopeless. And God's adversity would cause Jeremiah to just be miserable as he's watching the destruction of the city, the temple, uh, people's lives here. Uh, he has aged my flesh, my skin, and broken my bones. He just feels so aged. You know, David would speak about things like that, wouldn't he? David, when he speaks about his sin, how the Lord really pressed his heavy hand upon me and my bones ached, he would say. And, and he would express, you know, his tears flowing that soaked his pillow at night. There's no strength left in him. But then David would get his focus on the Lord, and that's what Jeremiah is going to do. And that's such an important lesson for us. It's critical for us that when we're overwhelmed and when we see people going through suffering and difficulties, maybe you're going through it yourself, and if you just your whole body aches, you have no strength left in you, uh, the tears that flow from you, that there is hope and there is compassion from God. And that's what Jeremiah is going to be expressing here as we continue. But, but first, in verse 7, he hedged me in so that I cannot get out. And even when I cry and shout, he, he shouts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. This is what he's just in the honesty of his heart is feeling. He has been to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has, has bent my bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. I, I remember that Job would say that, you know, I'm just, he's got his bow bent to Lord and he's ready to just shoot it at me. And we can feel these kind of things. And here, Jeremiah, in these verses, he's feeling chained and in prison. Uh, his freedom is gone, that God w would not hear his prayer. There's no escape. You know, he's like a lion in wait in ambush, a bear that is going to get me. He's going to tear me to pieces. And we can feel that way when we go through such anguish and difficulty and suffering and pain. I want to remind us of something that's very, very important, and that is in Romans chapter 8. And, and I have to go back to this when I go through difficult times or through trials myself. 
that Paul the Apostle, he said, I'm persuaded here um, that neither life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, things that come, nor height or death or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And he would say, who would separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril, uh, sword? Uh, You know, here's the thing. That when we go through tribulation and distress and persecution and famine, nakedness, sword, being pierced by difficulties, as we go through those times, we feel like maybe God doesn't love me and he doesn't see me. But Paul's writing, there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. And it's a glorious truth that I pray that we hang on to, that he still loves you. And sometimes we go through difficulties and sufferings, as in this case, the lamentation is because of their sin. And we can go through it because of the consequences of sin. Even as Christians, we're not excluded from that. And that's why it's a loving father that says, don't pursue sin, that walk after me. You know, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, no, certainly not. Be dead to death. You know, we identify with Christ. Yield yourself over as an instrument of righteousness. But in that time, know this, that the Lord, there is forgiveness, and he desires to still work, and he's still with us. But sometimes there's suffering that comes our way that we don't know why, and that's the big question. And know this, that when you are wondering why, we can know for certain of God's love and faithfulness. And that's what he's going to begin to express here as we continue on. And that's a message for all of us. We need to focus on the Lord. You know, here as he talks about that the Lord wants to put me in in captivity and bondage and ambush me. Listen, it is the enemy who's the lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it is the enemy that wants to put you into bondage. It is the Lord that wants to free you. And what happens is during those times of difficulties and suffering and trials and tribulations and famine and and persecutions that we can focus so much on the adversity that we're going through, the circumstances, and we don't focus on the Lord. And we're going to see here that he's going to begin to change his, his view here. But first he continues, he has been a bear to me lying in wait. In verse 10, as we read through verse 12, he set me up as a target for an arrow. Verse 13, his caused the arrows his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become a ridicule of all my people, the taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have removed my soul soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, just uh, goodness. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction in, in roaming, verse 19, the wormwood and the gall. And so here he remembers all of that. And as he just expresses bitterness and wormwood, of course, was a bitter plant that we read about here. He's really sunk into despair and hopelessness because of the circumstances all around him. But then in verse 19, as he says, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. Um, And then my soul, verse 20, still remembers and sinks within me. This are a call to mind, therefore I have hope. That is a verse that I have underlined there in verse 21. 
He says, I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. And I want you to know that in your despair and in your difficulty, and I don't know what you're going through, but there is hope, and he is our hope. He says, I recall the mind. In other words, my soul still remembers, therefore I have hope. And as we read this in verse 22, through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. And they are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness, and the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. It's very important for us to know this, that number one, we have hope in the Lord. His great love is not consumed. His compassion, second of all that we have, is there. Your compassion fails not. And they are new every single morning. And those of us who have been going through Matthew together on Sunday morning, it reminds me so much of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. As he looked out on the multitudes, it says that he was moved with compassion deep down as they were sheep without a shepherd. And he would turn to his disciples and he would say, pray to the Lord of the harvest, you know, to, for laborers to go out into the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful. But it was Jesus that was moved with compassion, looking at the people. They're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And here they had forsaken uh, the shepherd, uh, their father, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now they're scattered and they're being devoured. But he says his great love remains. His compassion is fails not and are new every morning. Every single morning, he has compassion for you. And then great is your faithfulness, thirdly. So we have hope in him. His compassion remains. He is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. And then number four, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. He is my portion. He's my life. Therefore, I hope in him. And I think it's really important that when we go through those times where we're overwhelmed, that we begin, and David was good at that, one of the things that really helps me when I'm going through difficulties or trials is I begin to read the Psalms because David would go through those times of difficulties. He would go through those times of uncertainty, and he would express it just as Jeremiah is doing it here. But then what he would do is he would begin to to get his heart and his mind on the Lord. And he would say, but you, Lord, you're my strength. You're my protector. You're my stability. You're my hope. You're my strong tower. All those terms, uh, I, I want to look to you, Lord. When my heart is overwhelmed, I cry out to you. And it's so important as Christians that when we go through adversity and difficulties, listen, sometimes because we're so overwhelmed, we will try to do our own thing, or we withdraw from the Lord when we should be drawing to the Lord and looking to Him. He is our comfort. He has compassion for us. We have hope in Him. He is faithful. Great is His faithfulness. And He's my portion, says my soul. In other words, He is the one that is directing and guiding my life. Therefore, I have hope. And my hope is in Him. And the Lord, verse 25, is good to those who wait on Him and the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, and it is good for a man to bear the youth of his, uh, the yoke of his youth. Verse twenty-seven. We're going to stop there, but for those of you that you're waiting on the Lord, and it's a hard thing to wait on the Lord, 
But the promise here, lamentation, is he promises to be good for you who are waiting. Maybe you're waiting for that job. Maybe you're waiting for healing to come into a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for whatever the case might be for you. And he promises this, that he'll be good for those who wait on him. And it's hard to wait on the Lord. But during that time, what you are to do is to seek him and to wait quietly and know that the Lord, number one, again, that his compassion fails not and his mercies are not consumed. They are new every single morning. Lord, continue to just pour out your mercy and your grace and your love and your compassion on me, Lord, because great is your faithfulness. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these lessons here in this book that we can read and we think, oh, it's so heavy, but there's a message of hope. There's a message of your great love and faithfulness to us. Um, There is a message of truth, of your compassion, and that our hope is in you, no matter how bad it is. And Lord, that you do see us. You're not going to cast us off. And Lord, you will show compassion according to the multitudes of your mercy. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And I just want to pray for those who, during this season of Christmas, it can be a very difficult time and at Christmas time, for whatever reason it might be, maybe because of loneliness or just feeling just the emotions of a lost loved one or just being overwhelmed as we come to the end of the year of, of just your needs, uh, desires, you've been waiting on the Lord. Instead of a time of joy and gladness, it's a time of grieving. It's a time of sadness. It's a time of hurting. And I just pray for your comfort to be upon those who are feeling that. That they would know that they're not alone. And that your love is not separated from them. And Lord, that they would perceive your presence and Lord, just your comfort. That Lord, to you would speak to their hearts. You would wipe away their tears. And Lord, to know this, that weeping may endure for a night, but joyeth come in the morning, as the psalmist writes. So Father, bless your people. May this Christmas, as we're overwhelmed, that we would look at the hope that was given to us, Jesus Christ, who came and was born as the babe of Bethlehem. And to remember that born unto you in the city of David as Savior Christ the Lord, I bring you great tidings of great joy that will be to all peoples. That he is our hope because he went to a cross and died on that cross, and he rose again from the grave. He is our only hope, truly. So, Lord, we thank you for that reminder here. I pray you bless everyone's week as we continue, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, hope to see you on Sunday. Looking forward to it. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.